0: Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz drummer and radio host Sam Wiseman. This busy jazz cat is a member of the Kansas City Jazz Orchestra and he gigs all over town. He's also known as the Jazz Insider on KKFI 90.1 FM with a weekly radio jazz show. He also teaches private drum lessons and enjoys playing a piano and guitar. Sam is the son of a classical musician right out of Topeka, Kansas, who fell in love with jazz listening to the radio at the age of 13. He moved to Kansas City in 2001 to study at UMKC, and he's been a fixture on the KC jazz scene ever since. So please get to know him and dig this interview, my friends.
1: Sam, hey, thanks for taking a minute out to talk with me on jazz. I appreciate it. Sure. So let's go ahead and start off with kind of the topic, so to speak, of right now, which I caught you after the Winter Wonderland performance with the Kansas City Jazz Orchestra the other night. Another stellar performance in front of a sold-out crowd at Kaufman. Talk to me about your involvement with the jazz orchestra. That goes back
2: to Cary Strayer, who used to be the director of the jazz orchestra. And I had worked for him off and on for a lot of years. He actually gave me the first steady gig I ever had. And I had subbed with the group a few times and then eventually became a member, um, along with another awesome drummer, John Kaziliermuth. And we sort of trade off the drumming duties uh for Kansas City Jazz Orchestra. And it's just a pleasure to play in that group. And uh, Clint Ashlock uh programs a lot of interesting pro- music and a variety of music. And it's great to play with all the musicians in that group. Um, And I I say that it's sort of a, it's a really, it's like a grown-up band. you know what I mean? All the guys in that band uh, have played all kinds of gigs for a lot of years. And so it's a pleasure to play with um, so many musicians with so much experience.
1: You know, the one thing that's interesting about what I've always seen with you guys in the jazz orchestra, and I kind of compare this to other large ensembles, that cover the music of, of the masters and a lot of people in the jazz that I am. I mean, even like the San Francisco Jazz Collective, it's like, you know, they're covering Miles Davis. You guys cover all kinds of musicians. And my question and point is this, you all make it look so easy. And Clint comes up with these, you know, twists on things, but it's actually really difficult what you guys are doing. You make it look easy. Is that, a, is that an accurate surmise?
2: Yeah, I mean, some music is certainly harder than others. Music is always challenging, and there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes and years of practice and study to make it look easy. And I, I hope that when it looks easy, it, does, it doesn't feel stale or boring. I hope that just means it feels good and comfortable. Yeah. You know, you talked about putting twists on some of the music of the masters, like Basie and Ellington and stuff, and we do that, but I also like this band's when we play, you know, classic Ellington or, you know, we did a, a Cotton Club show, so like early Ellington or, you know, Sinatra at the Sands, that kind of stuff, we we try to play stylistically correct for that era. So I, that's another thing I like about this band is is the, the musicians in Kansas City Jazz Orchestra both like to play modern music and, and rearrange music in a modern way, but then also really uh, recreate, you know, the classic sound of the Basie band or the Ellington band, for example.
1: Yeah, and, and that was my point. It's not that at all that it's stale. It's I, You know, I'm coming from a perspective of not being a jazz musician, but watching what you guys do, recognizing that this is, you know, this is your interpretation on improv, and, you know, each time you do improv, it's new each time, but there's and I'm cognizant of that with Clint. I'm cognizant of that with you guys that are out there. So that's my bigger point, so to speak.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Let's get back to the beginnings of all of this to understand Sam, to understand what you're doing and who you are, not only as a musician, but as a radio host. And it all began back in Topeka, correct? Yes. So talk to me about your childhood and how you got reared, not only in music as kind of this whole, but jazz more specifically.
2: So my my mom is a classical violinist, and she used to teach violin lessons, and she's she still does, and she's played in the Topeka Symphony for uh, 40 years now, and so that was my earliest, you know, musical influences were early, you know, symphony concerts, speaker symphony concerts, classical music, violin lessons, um, but, you know... I, we listen to other types of music as well. The, but, but the idea of music being a potential career uh, life path was always a real possibility for me, uh, which was, which I really appreciate. I started on piano. Like a lot of kids, that didn't quite take. My mom wanted me to play cello. That, I wasn't gonna do that. <laughs> but, uh, like a lot of kids, I remember hearing the big concert bass drum and just the, the visceral feeling that it gives you as the, vib- the vibrations hit your chest. And that's kind of what I remember about discovering the drums and thinking I, that's what I want to do. So I started fourth grade bands and took lessons and, and practiced a lot as a kid and did, you know, school band and started learning drum set. And jazz came around really I probably uh, on the radio. I had heard some jazz performances, but playing jazz and listening to it on the radio were always intertwined for me. So I used to listen to the local NPR station in Topeka. Bob Parlocha had a show, a syndicated show, and then also Dick Wright. I don't even know if you know that name, but yeah. Dick Wright used to yeah Dick Wright hosted a show on Saturday afternoons uh, from the from Lawrence, where he was uh, professor at KU, yeah. and I, I listened to that almost every Saturday when I was you know, an early teenager on. And so that that was always a big influence, and I, that's how I learned a lot of tunes. I used to play along to the radio with my drum set and just learned a lot of tunes, learned a lot of musicians. And Dick Wright and Bob Parlocha both would mention the Sidemen. So the, it wasn't just a Miles Davis record. It was a Miles Davis record with Jimmy Cobb and Wynton Kelly and Paul Chambers and John Coltrane. And then, okay, i got to find more Jimmy Cobb, or i got to find more Paul Chambers. And so I would go down to Best Buy or Barnes & Noble and buy music with them. I may not know the person whose record it was, but I knew that Jimmy Cobb was on it, and so then I would get it. And so that's really how I discovered a lot of music, and I just did a ton of listening that way to Bob Palocia and Dick Wright, and then also Bob McWilliams a little bit later. Um, and so I would listen to the Bobs almost every night. Starting at nine PM. So it was Bob McWilliams and then it went to the syndicated Bob Parlosha show. The power of Bob. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so but that's how, that's that's really what got me into jazz. But I always was studying classical music and and wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I just I wanted to learn it all.
1: So, when you were listening to radio growing up and early on, and I mean, you said that there was this notion that you were going to get into music. Did you think that you wanted to actually have your own show like you do now, or was it just something that kind of happened over time?
2: It happened over time, I mean, but there's always been a thing for me, and I think a lot of people, and certainly musicians, of, like, you're eager to share this music that that is important to you, and the first you know, version of that is, you know, I would make cassette tapes and play it for my friends in the car. And so you're eager to share music that maybe you think, oh, I think this person would like it. I can't wait for them to hear it. And so that was always the thing. And and radio, having a radio show is the natural conclusion of that. And I've been lucky enough to, to, to do that. And so really it's just a chance to, one, listen to music that I like and then play it for people who maybe haven't heard it and can discover it and be excited about it in the same way that I am.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you come to Kansas City in 2001 to go to UMKC. Talk to me about that new journey in your life and what you learned in higher education about music.
2: Um, I, I came to, to UMKC to the conservatory to study classical percussion, and that's what I my degree is in, a percussion degree. But one of the things that was appealing about UMKC was I could study classical music, but then also play in a, a jazz program that, at the time, Bobby had just gotten there, and things seemed to be building at UNKC. Um, my first year in school was Bobby's second. I knew they were good players here. I had I had heard Bob Bowman play. I had heard Todd Strait play. Um, I had heard Paul Smith play, and so I, I knew that musicians like that were around. Bram Wynans, I had heard them in Topeka you know, playing at Topeka Jazz Workshop Concerts, and I thought, well, if I can study classical music and get to, you know, learn from these people at the same time, that sounds great. And it was away from home, but not so far away from home. <laughs> you know, that parents couldn't come see performances or that kind of thing. And it it was a really good experience. You know, the number one thing for me about my experience at u m k c was just, constant playing, constantly juggling four concerts at one time, you know, different stacks of music, you know, learning marimba parts, orchestra parts, playing in the opera, having a jazz band concert. All of that was going on at the same time. You know, what equipment do I need to be where at what time? What time is this rehearsal? Okay, what's next? And that was really what happened all throughout my college experience. Um, and that really prepared me for what happens now. Because any you know busy musician will tell you that there's ongoing practice that we do. There's a lot of like, okay, you've got an hour to get ready for this thing that's happening. Can you learn it efficiently? Can you get your equipment organized? Do you have the right clothes in the car? Do you pack a lunch? All that stuff. <laughs> Things that I learned because of the the chaos that was going on in school, but it was good, you know. Um, and obviously private lessons were great. I took lessons from Todd Strait, Tommy Ruskin, Doug Allwater. They were my main teachers and drum set teachers. And I took classical lessons from uh, Dr. Snell, percussion department. And I took a semester of lessons with Bobby as well. We just basically played duos in a practice room. So I just had a lot of different experiences and then just a lot of constant learning music and trying to keep it all organized. And that was a really good preparation for for what goes on now. Because I have kids now, too, and that's just
1: another crazy element. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Talk to me a little timeline-wise when you started and kind of how you progressed through the Kansas City scene into 2018.
2: It started in school, really. Uh, That's another thing that I would tell some somebody, if they were thinking about where to go to school, is the faculty matters a lot, the facility matters a lot, the city, you know, the environment, but but the students are hugely important, and these are the people that you're going to be spending the most time with, and learning from, and exchanging, you know, musical ideas with, and so if at all possible, go hear the, you know, the, the big band, or the combo, or look up what various students are up to while they're in school umkc was great uh in that sense there were a lot of good players that i played with that i still play with you know so the, the students were were great to work with and grow with bobby and and you know and todd and tommy doug they were very and paul mckee i should mention paul mckee and how as well were there they were all encouraging us to go out and sit in and play and yes we had to get our school work done and we had to show up at theory class at eight in the morning but going out to jam sessions staying out late playing hearing music trying to score gigs at restaurants that was always encouraged by all of them so I had sort of built a little baby gigging life while I was in school was given some good opportunities to play with more experienced musicians, even when I was 19, 20. You know, getting to play like, like Gerald Spates, Roger Wilder, Bob Bowman, like I said, um, Carey, you know, guys like that that were established gave me a chance to play. And and then really the how things came to 2018, you know, I was finishing school, trying to decide what to do, whether I would – uh, maybe try to audition for orchestras or go to graduate school, move to New York. Those are all things that were in my mind. You know, I graduated in 2005 and was playing gigs, and I thought, well, let me just live in my chief apartment and play some gigs this summer and maybe uh, another year, and then I'll figure out what to do next, and that was 13 years ago. <laughs> That's that's basically how it happened. I just built a playing career and met so many great musicians and expanded what I do and trying to grow. And I always just wanted to try to be able to play the drums and have a family and a little house, and I'd be able to do that, knock on wood. That's Absolutely. the short version.
1: <laughs> yeah, I like it. So what do you like best about being a, a practicing musician? Boy, um, number one I'd say would be performing. Uh,
2: it, it's amazing to perform. It's amazing to work with other performers. It's amazing to feel energy of a crowd. There's nothing quite like maybe, you know, playing a, a ballad. Like when a crowd is really listening in the, in the moment when the ballad ends and there's that that silence for a second and then the applause. Like that. there's something amazing about that. And, and um, so I would say performing is what I like best about it for sure. What about being
1: a radio host? What do you enjoy the most about doing that gig?
2: Hearing music. I mean, listening to music, discovering new artists, that's number one. I mean, listening to music, listening to a lot of music, and being a musical performer go hand in hand. Those things are huge in in my life. And so, yeah, listening to music, discovering new music is, is the best part about it
1: talk to me about the Kansas city jazz scene in 2018. You know, I've been doing this show since 2011 and there seemed to be an uptick at the time. And things have just gotten to a point where recently I spoke with Lonnie McFadden and, you know, of course we all know the history of him in Kansas city, met Jay McShan in his kitchen. He's been all over the world. And he said that he has never seen the Kansas city scene as healthy as it is right now. So, Not wanting to put words or put any kind of subjective gloss over things, but I guess I just want to ask you, being a part of it, what is your evaluation of Kansas City in 2018 jazz-wise? Well, it's good.
2: Uh, There's a lot of work for people. There's never enough, right? We're always hungry. We're always trying to get more. But primarily, work comes and goes, and the clubs open and close. Wages may rise or fall, but but primarily, it's that the musicians are good. And the music that people are making is good. I mean, if if you go here, Peter Slam, Ryan Lee, Stephen Martin, Pat Dillinger, I'll put those guys up against anybody, you know. So the the quality of the musicianship is very strong. You know, you could argue pound for pound, they might have the best scene right now. You know, there's obviously great musicians everywhere you go, but there's a lot in a, in a you know relatively small city. I mean, Kansas is a big metro, but, you know, compared to Chicago, New York, L.A., Boston, there's a lot of really good musicians here. So I, the scene is good, but the, the musicians are good, and that that should be the number one focus.
1: One thing that I always find, you know, getting down on AC and Vine and kind of get, getting bespeckled by all of the history that, that has gone on there, I always wondered what it would be like if I could just close my eyes and kind of in that field of dreams notion, open it up, and there you go. You're in the thick of it. So my question is this. If you are in the thick of it, you're in the heyday of Kansas City, and you do open your eyes. Where are you going to go? Who are you going to see? You can pick anybody in that anthology of Kansas City jazz music, uh, musician. Who are you going to go see? Boy,
2: probably, you know, Kansas City 7, you know, Lesser Young recordings. I mean, they're, they're awesome. The Basie Band with Papa Joe Jones. You know, the, the late 30s, so good. And the thing, you know, the Ellington band, one thing I always think about that era of music, we are only able to absorb it through recordings of, from antiquated recordings, right? Even with the technology being what it was, they sound amazing. So I can only imagine what it would be like to be in a room with that Basie band or the Ellington band, okay. Um I just, I can't imagine what it would sound like. I mean, I thought about this, too, with, like, the classic Coltrane Quartet. I mean, if I had a time machine, I would go, that's who I would go see, Just the Coltrane Quartet from 19, you know, 62 or 63. It sounds amazing on recordings. I can only imagine what it would be like to sit in front of them, you know? I'd just go hear somebody live, you know?
1: Let me ask you this. As far as education goes, you know, there's higher education, there's being on the bandstand, but there's always that education, as you alluded to, with listening to jazz. And seeing live jazz is a, is a magic moment. What live jazz have you seen that was real pivotal in your life that you really remember that left an impression? That's a great question. So much. I mean, the things that come to mind,
2: I'm a freshman at UMKC and really Absorbing as much as possible, and like just you know swimming in music and study. And uh Bobby brings Horizon to the Blue Room, and this was sort of the first show, at least that I was since I lived there. The first show that it was like Bobby with his band, kind of welcome to Kansas City. Here, here's my thing, and it was the Horizon band with. Um, uh, Essiat and Victor Lewis, Mulgur Miller, I believe Melton Mustafa on trumpet and Bobby. The whole place was like vibrating from soul and groove and swing and just, just Bobby's music, you know, was so uplifting, fun and joyous. That was an incredible night. Well here, this is a little bit off, off the beaten path. It, it, it's jazz, I suppose, but I remember hearing Brad Cox, had arranged the Nutcracker and some other Christmas songs, and they did a show at All Souls. Um, and this was, I think it was, it was technically called the Brad Cox Ensemble. And, you know, it was Brad leading the band, Jeff Harshbarger was in it, Scotty McBee, I believe Bill McCamey was playing like Sousaphone and Saruman, uh Jake Blanton. Um, a lot of great musicians, some of which have moved away and some of which are still here, but I had just never heard music like that. The way that they rearranged the music and the the amount of fun they were having, it was very impactful on me, and I I went up to Brad afterwards who I had not ever met, and I was like, I'm Sam, and I played percussion, and I will do anything you say. I just want to play
1: (laughs) with you you know
2: and uh eventually it did and and I, it's turned into a really long musical relationship and some of my best moments ever musically with Brad and Jeff Harshberger and I've just learned so much from them and so that was just a moment that I'll never forget hearing that music and being blown away by the music but also finding you know a musical uh inspiration but also a, a, a partner you know somebody that yeah. It's been amazing to work with and grow with. And then I guess one more that comes to mind, I mean, there's so many, but one more that comes to mind is the first time I saw Matt Wilson play. Just pure joy and good feeling and, and honesty on the drums. And, and that was a real uh, important moment for me, too. Beautiful. There just three of about 8,000. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Yeah, I like
1: it. So let me ask you this. Why do you love jazz?
2: I guess number one would be the, the groove, the feel, the swing feeling, that bouncing feeling that it has when it's done well. It's, you know, freedom and joy. Yeah, it's just the feel. It's the feel. That's the number one thing.
1: So everything's going to come down to this. This is my final question for you. Everyone has a perception of who they think you are. As a musician, as a radio host, you got your family, you got your friends, you got your fans, but you drive your ship. You know who you are. Tell me, who do you think you are? I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a drummer,
2: son, brother. That's like, you know, one through 20 of what I am. I'm an honest person. You know, try to be respectful, try to, as best I can, to live by the golden rule. Uh, musically, personally, you know, that's who I think I am trying to be. <laughs>
1: I like it. Sam, hey, thanks for taking some time out. Thank you for the music. Thank you for the radio. Uh, I always appreciate it, and thank you for your time with Neon Jazz. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you, and thanks for
1: all you do as well.
0: Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Kansas City and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Sam for his time, his music, and his cool. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit NeonJazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz, go to the NeonJazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends.
1: on jazz